0: This is Acts 21, and it's kind of interesting that we abruptly come to the end of Paul's missionary journeys. There's no like, okay, this is the end of it. Did he know it was going to be the end of it? Had he planned on continuing to do some more? We don't know. It's just, they're over with now. And so from here on out, he doesn't have the freedom to go where he wants to go. He's going to be a prisoner, an ambassador in chains from here on out. This lesson, this chapter, 21, has got some interesting things to grapple with in here, okay? And um, I heard that some of you already came across some of those things. Maybe you didn't have a problem with it. That's okay. So when I study it and I outline it and I pray over it and I think about it and then I'll go and I'll pull out my favorite commentators and try to see if they got little new gifts we can sink into this thing. all's all's good, things were going good, and then one of my favorite commentators, it was like he took a flip side on this one. James Montgomery Boyce. I like his, his is usually like a narrative, kind of. And the title of his chapter for this was When a Good Man Falls, and I just didn't go with that, okay? So I'm I'm giving a disclaimer here, like I always do, that this is what I got out of it, and I'm going to give it back to you. Um, Boyce got something different out of it, and he gave it back to the world. He lived at a different time. Whatever's going on, the Word of God is live, living, and active, isn't it? So as with anything, anybody teaches you in the Word of God, you always take it back and examine the Scriptures. But I'm just going to give you a couple different things to think about, and and it's, it's good. Jesus is still sovereign God, Savior of the world. Our name's written in the Book of Life, right? And we're still witnesses. So, Paul is our witness. He is an example to us to be witnesses and go out into all the world. Paul is doing that. He's, he's the first missionary doing it, the first one to be able to, one of the first to tell about the gospel of Jesus, the saving grace of the whole message of who Christ is, the fulfillment of Old Testament. And we I have him written about here. Luke wrote about him in this early church to let us know the format and how it is and how difficult it's going to be. It's difficult. It's not, a, not easy, um, but Paul has been our role model. We saw last week how he was a role model, how he sat down with the elders in Ephesus and said, I want you to imitate me. You need to be like this. Look how I have been when I have, have been with you, so I want you to do the same. And now we're rolling into chapter 21, and we have the same thing going on with Paul. Verse 1, and when we had parted from them and set sail. Right there, Paul has connected so hard with these people. He's having to leave these beloved Ephesian elders, these people, the church that was there. And so the word parted is meaning, literally meaning he had to tear himself away, parted, tear away from his sorrowing friends. It was a sad and difficult goodbye that he was going through. But he was driven to to, to continue. Um, he had poured his life in, into these people. He had invested in them. He had taught them. He had, you know, just nonstop sharing his who he was with them, and in return they loved him deeply. The passage goes on to talk about how they went from here to here, and they crossed over, and, and it's, a, it's a point to here they would sail during the day and, and be up in the island at night on their stop in their port and then get back on a day. Luke writes about it here, Pretty much as a determined, he went from here to here to here. We're determined when we're going to take a route, when we're going to go on a trip, we plan it, say, I'm going to go here to here to here because my destination is there and I'm going to get there. It's not that I'll wake up and I'll see, oh, well, maybe I'll go here, whatever. Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem with this offering that he had collected from the Gentile churches. Because he wanted to present it and some of the people, the Christian Gentiles that were with him, to the Jerusalem church to see God's church includes the Gentiles. We're all in this together. They're helping with this. And he wanted to do there as the person to kind of say, pull them all together. He was determined to go. It wasn't just a, well well, I don't need to go. You guys can go. you got the money and stuff. He was invested in this unity of the church. And so they go and they travel around and everything. And we get to verse 3. When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. And for there, the ship was to unload its cargo. And they looked for some disciples, and they stayed with them for seven days. It's always kind of cool he found disciples of Jesus Christ in every single place. Pretty much city he was in, it let us know how broad, widespread it was the gospel was going. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So what is happening with that verse? Um, They are warning Paul. He had been warned before not to go. They're warning him not to go. Um, We don't really know how these... Uh, Christians got there. Paul did not plant this church, but the book of Acts is just a partial history of the early church. But they were there, and they were true believers, and they were telling him, warning him not to go in the spirit. He had been prophesied already of the danger that awaited him. They were warning him because Ahead of time, what's a prophecy? Something that's kind of foretold, a truth that's foretold, to not go, saying that it, when this happens, this is going to happen. It's almost like a, you're going to do this. It's almost like you go and get a surgery done, and you, um, the doctor should inform you of what's happening, um, inform consent, and this is going to happen, this is going to be a recovery, so you know what to expect. You know what to expect, Right? Because if you go out and you don't know what to expect, you're constantly readjusting and saying, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Okay, I have to readjust for that. Okay, now what do we do with that? Okay? So God is prophesying, letting him know that there's going to be difficult things in Jerusalem. So be prepared. These people loved him dearly. So when it says that, and they threw the spirit, they were telling him, it meant that through the spirit, through the knowledge that they had, because the spirit had warned him this was going to happen, the Spirit was the one that brought that information, they're saying, don't go, don't go. It's not that the Spirit was telling them to tell him not to go. I want to clear that up here. They loved him. They didn't want him to go. They didn't want him to put his life at risk for this, okay? It was almost a more human a human application to what God was laying out there with that. So a warning is not a, you better not do this or else this is going to happen. It wasn't a consequential thing. It was like, this is going to happen, so we want you to be prepared for it. And they're saying, no, 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 I don't want you to, to do this. It reminded me a long time ago, we were getting ready to move out of California and come to Virginia just to get out of California. And uh, we had been at this little church for a long time, and one woman said... I'm going to pray that you don't go. And I'm like, how selfish. We really want to go. Well, God didn't hear those prayers, obviously, because here we are. So it's a matter of their love and concern for him, more more letting letting the flesh human interest override or interpret what the spirit was saying. So keep that in the back of your mind as we follow through with this that in the spirit, they knew what was going to happen, but the spirit wasn't telling them to tell him this, okay? They had that human thing applied in there, a human interpretation of the Holy Spirit's prophecy. He wasn't being prohibited to go. And so we get into verse 5, and when when, um, when our days were When our days there were ended, we departed and we went on a journey and all the wives and the children, they came down outside the city and kneeling down to pray on the beach, we said farewell. And he got on board the ship and he went on his way. Um, Paul was persuaded that this was what God wanted him to do. In verse 7, they finish the voyage, going around to all these different places. They arrive in Ptolemeais, and again there 's encouraging you know there 's Christians there that he finds, um, and he spends time with them seven um, and he runs into Philip Philip is the um, the disciple who went with the Ethiopian eunuch. The other Philip had already been killed by this time. And he was also the one that was chosen by the early church to distribute food to the widows. Remember when that was a problem? Okay. So he was, had now become known as Philip the Evangelist. See how much he had grown, how much God had used him. What a great title to be known by something like that. So after he had met with the Ethiopian unit and led him to his faith in Christ, Philip preached through the whole coastal region there, and he ends up in Caesarea. He's in Caesarea now, and Paul meets up with him. He's got four daughters who are prophets. Again, this is a picture of the early church. We did not have the completed written word of God yet okay so when it says prophet there it's not a prophet like Old Testament prophet we usually see some of it maybe but these women were ones who uh, Philip's daughters were able to speak insight even maybe some true revelations from God because the New Testament hadn't been written yet it's interesting to point out though if they did or not, Luke doesn't record it, that these girls didn't prophesy anything about Paul going to Jerusalem, did they? So, there they're, they're having fellowship and everything, and we look get down to verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's a truth. It's a fact. This is going to happen. Okay? It's going to happen. It didn't say, and if you go, then this is what's going to happen. It's not an if-then thing. It's that this will happen. And when they heard this in verse 12, we, Luke's included in this, and all the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So Luke is even in there saying, Don't go, this is going to happen. It's a trap. They're going to get you. These, you know, they've been tra- trailing you for all these missions, all these years, on all these journeys. They were always there. The Jews from Asia were always there, you know, trying to hunt them down. Don't go, don't go. And it's making it very difficult for Paul, isn't it? It's making it very difficult for Paul. it comes to mind when people are on their deathbed and we're having a hard time letting them go, letting them go and saying goodbye. It makes it so much easier for them when we say, go ahead, I love you, I don't want, but you know what, if you need to go, go ahead. I'll be right behind you, (laughs) right? I'm coming to you. It it, it does make it difficult because if people love each other and there's tension and 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 there's something that you're supposed to do, you have to do, and they're just not in, in support of that, then you're dealing not just with the difficulty of the situation that you're facing, but you're also dealing with trying to comfort them. And I'm sure many of you can look back on your lives and point out a situation where that happened. A new job, something happened, something difficult, your husband was going to do, or a friend of yours was going to do, and you didn't want him to do it, but you but you knew you and, it, and, and, and you, if you step back, you can see it was just for selfish reasons you hung on to it, right okay, so he, Agabus is there, many old Testament prophets would act out their messages. Um, But you know what? This is just more confirmation for Paul. Because where did Agabus get this idea? Obviously, it was from the Spirit. So because it was such a difficult situation that Paul was going to meet when he got down there in Jerusalem, what was going to happen, and all his friends, pretty much all of them, were telling him not to go, God is going, I think, overboard and telling him in several prophecies this is what's going to happen so so you need to go you need to go all right for paul not to go would have been disobedient he is convinced to go And he has free will. He could have bent and said, okay, you guys all hang out here. It is really more comfortable here. I really enjoy being with you guys and, you know, the whole idea of being, you know, in a Roman prison, you know, he could have done that. He could have. He has free will. How that would have played out, don't know. It's a mute point, really, to do that. But eventually, God would have got him to go or God would have found somebody else to go, but God's will would have been done, right? Right? Okay, so warnings meant to prepare Paul not to stop him from going. It also was this. It was a test of courage. This is what you have to expect when you get there. Whoa, that was a huge, I mean, that's free will. He didn't didn't have to go how much did he really love god how much was he really committed to to spreading the god how much was he was he just so devoted to do the will of god that no matter what it would take he would do it we already know in his own words that he his life was meaningless to him right so he got the courage probably didn't even question it he was going so how paul responded to that whole situation and letting these people know that he was willing to pay any price that was required to complete the task the Lord had assigned him. His courage motivated them to overcome their fears. Eh? Right? Because what do we find next? Paul says to them, what are you doing weeping? You're breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be in prison but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus And Luke writes, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, look what they say, let the will of the Lord be done. It's almost an admission that it was their will versus the Lord's will, isn't it? You see that? Let the will of the Lord be done. It's just like Christ in the garden. Not my will, but your wills be done, right? Those are tough things to to say, Um, to bend. I mean, I've had many instances in my life where it's been, and I've shared stories in here with them, you know, not my will. When we moved out here from California, my husband stayed in California for a whole year while that house was attempting to be sold in real estate. The girls and I move out here the minute The week after we put it on the market in California, fires broke out, droughts. The real estate market went no place, no place. That wasn't our plan. A whole year goes by, no end in sight. Did you sell the house? Did you sell the house? Did you sell the house? No, 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 no. And I had to get to the point where I said to God, I really want our family to be together again. You know, my girls need a daddy out. We need to be together. But if that is not your will, help me to accept it. And that was rough to say that because I really didn't want that. But I had to get to the point, though, if this is what you're really doing, because after a whole year of nothing on the market, nothing kept, drop the price, drop the price, drop the price, I had to get to that point. And you know what? A week after I prayed that prayer, boom, the house sold. So you see how things work sometimes? Um, To be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. So, verse 15. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. After they accepted God's will, they got ready to go up to Jerusalem. Paul had a deep love for the Jewish people. He wanted so much to reconnect, to to just tell them, to just get in there and be with them and just tell them the truth about Christ. We know that from Romans 9, 1 to 3. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness to the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's a powerful statement he's saying in Romans. Absolutely, honestly, true. I wish that I would be accursed if they would come to know the Lord. He had to go. God had created this heart in him to go. The Lord's will be done. All right, so they arrive in Jerusalem in verse 17, and they're received gladly by the brothers there. They're all happy to see him. Got lots of good news to share. When he gets there, he's giving the offerings from the church that he, had, you know, the, that he had collected from the Gentile churches. Gave them that offering to help them because they were so impoverished from persecution. He introduced his, the people who were traveling with them. Remember the, you know, the diversity of the group that we looked at last week that of the Gentiles? And they were there. Everybody's happy. Paul sits down and gives him a, a full report a full report of what God had done with the Gentiles. Detailed out, sharing this great news, and they were ecstatic. Plus, the Gentile believers that he had brought with them, were, they, they were there witnessing their genuine love for Christ and what they were like, and it was a great fellowship, and they were thankful. They glorified God, and they worship, had fellowship. That's the good news. Now we get on to the bad news. Paul shared his good news, and now these Jerusalem leaders are going to share the bad news regarding Paul's poor reputation here in Jerusalem. In verse 20b, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Big church, big church of Christian believers through the Jews. They're all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, rumors, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs, which wasn't true. He wasn't doing that. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So that's the bad news. The church in Jerusalem, the the Jewish believers were in a transition. Their whole heritage was Jewish. It was all laws and stuff that God himself established right from, you know, Abraham. It was like, this is what we're going to do. Call them out of the land of Ur, and I'm going to make you a nation. This is how you need to live, and these are the things you need to do. That was their culture. They were Jewish. It was in their blood. They have these laws. And so they were zealous for these things. So the transition of Jesus Christ coming to make, behold, I make all things new, they're just not going to say, oh, okay, we'll shift gears here. Their whole mentality had to go from the Jewish beliefs and traditions to, oh, you mean we don't have to do that anymore? Well, you can if you want to, but it's, it's, you know, you don't need to anymore. Oh, okay. So it was a transition of letting go of what they had clung to over here and clinging on to this and who Jesus is and a relationship and with him and the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And as they clung more to this, they had to let go of this over here. It wasn't cut and dry. You follow me with this? It's a transition. I think it was even with Paul, because we know a couple chapters back, Paul grew his hair, he did the vow, right? And then he went and he gave his hair as an offering and whatever. Why did he do that? He didn't do it for for a sin sacrifice, we talked about why he maybe did He just came out of a horribly satanic, the whole city was worshiping Satan and, and just horrible things that go along with that. And he probably felt pretty crappy. So he, he just rededicates, just kind of a, a step back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to behaviorally go through these things because this is what I'm thinking to kind of get myself, just kind of leave that alone and get myself back with God. So that's what he did. Do we do that? We don't do that. We do different things for that, and we'll get into that. So these were, they were zealous. They highly valued the Jewish laws, okay? And they had heard these rumors about Paul that he was basically anti-Jewish, and it was wrong to follow the laws. Just a little bit of, you know, just twisting it in there. When Paul wasn't saying that, he was saying it's okay to observe these laws established by if you want to. But they've been fulfilled by Christ. They are not needed for salvation. Therefore, Paul was not teaching them to the Gentiles. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, verse 23. So, they come up with a plan. Do therefore, these are the 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 leaders of the uh, Jerusalem church. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these four men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. I guess it was very expensive to do this. They were not very wealthy um, men that were there and so they needed to do this whole thing. It's like getting married. you got to put out a lot of money to get married, right? Okay? So... They were suggesting to Paul, come and help these young men be able to fulfill this vow. Give them the money that they need to complete it and shave their heads and offer their hair as a, a offering. Take these men purify, and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses. And then maybe they'll all see that you, you know, aren't this terrible person. Um, so, Paul says, okay. Paul saw no, no harm in doing that. Um, but we have a problem with that, don't we? The elders or the leaders of Jerusalem church was hoping that if Paul did this, it would convince the others that Paul still supported a lot of their laws and, and rituals, okay? When he agrees he's not being a hypocrite, I think we can see it more as him being humbled like oh okay I kind of I want I want unity in the church so much here I've pulled all these gentiles in now how am I going to reach all these Jews right so he's like okay that might be a plan we can go go for and so he says yes to this even though it's a useless kind of thing to go through it wasn't destructive it illustrates Christian liberty And to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Boy, did he have a big job ahead of him, right? (laughs) To do all that kind of stuff, so... Anyways, we have Christian liberty with that. They decided to do that because um, Paul's goal was to make the church one. My, not my will, but... Kathy, are you, you looking for someone specific? Oh, you're taking pictures. How did I look? Wait. <laughs> when it children's teachers come up. I wonder if they're looking for a mom. But that's usually Cece that comes in and gets them. So anyways. um, Okay. So let's see what happens here. He um, goes ahead in verse 26 and he takes the men and he's going to go ahead and do this. Um, And um, he's purifying himself and he goes and all does that. All right. Verse 27. Look how God is intervening in here. He gets arrested, okay? Who's around? The Jews from Asia. We can just call them those pestering Jews, can't we? The thorn in his side, whatever it is there, okay? But God intervenes because it says in verse 27, when the seven days were almost complete, which tells us what? It didn't, the the purification thing wasn't completed, he didn't go through the whole seven days. He wasn't, God stopped him from doing this. Now, Boyce will tell you, God stopped him from doing something really foolish. You know, he, he you know, he was disobeying by going to Jerusalem, but God stopped him from, from making a, a purification a sacrifice for his sins. I don't. Th- I I do not believe that that's what it was because God allowed him to make that purification, that vow before, to just kind of make myself, you know, I just need to get right, rededicate or whatever. I think that God intervened at that point in time to let them all know these things are not necessary. These are, you don't have to do this. Because if, to the Jew... If it was that necessary, God wouldn't have allowed the riot to... I mean, this is how I'm seeing. We're step back. God would have allowed it to happen. Fulfill it, the purification thing, do whatever. Even though it was harmless to Paul and it wasn't for sin, it could look like this. It could give the appearance to the Jewish Christians that, Aha! Paul went through the purification process because he's been hanging out with those Jews. And in the Old Testament, when they hung out with the Gentiles, they had to go through this. Dead bodies, Gentiles, they had to go through all this stuff to be purified. So, it had a strong possibility of being misunderstood by doing that. God stops it in the track. Okay? These rituals are not that important. How do we purify ourselves today? Confession an acknowledgement of being washed in the blood. The times, Acts seventeen thirty. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent. We don't have to, you know, do, you know, 12 Hail Marys or, you know, whatever, or cut our long, our hair, you know, we don't have to do that. Search my heart, O God, and see if there be anything in me. Confess it. And what does he do? It removes from, as far as the east is from the west, a mental acknowledgement of it because of what Christ done on the cross. Okay, here come the Jews. The Jews from Asia stirring up trouble, stirring up trouble. They got the whole crowd, and they laid hands on Paul. Okay? Accusing him of things that were totally unfounded. As a matter of fact, if we go back and look in chapter 6 of Acts, verse 13, we can see that these are the same accusations they put on Stephen. Did you see that? Put on Stephen that they were putting on Paul. But back in chapter 6, whose side of the argument was Paul on back then? So here he is. It's come full circle around, hasn't it? The crowd gets enraged, just enraged, and it was a big crowd because it was the day of Pentecost. They were all there for the feast, and they were very, very angered. Not just because of what Paul had been, what they had been told Paul was doing by being anti-Jewish, but also for the fact that they assumed that Paul had defiled the temple by bringing a Greek into it. Okay, um, traphemous. Tra- uh, The Ephesian was in the city with Paul, and they assumed that because he was with Paul, he went into the temple. There were two. There were two several courtyards. There was the outer courtyard um, with just the you know the women that, or just the Gentiles, whatever. And then they had the inner place where only Jewish men could go into. And then they had the Holy Holies and stuff. And they assumed that Paul had taken these Gentiles into the area that was prohibited by Gentiles. Now, put your thinking caps on. The temple area always had people around. This was a feast, day of Pentecost, crowded with people. And if this Gentile believer had gotten into an area that was prohibited for him to be in, he could have been killed on spot. They had signs all over the place, no Gentiles are allowed in here, and if you do, you're going to get killed. So if he was in there, he would have been killed on the spot. We, we have a brain. We need to use it. So they're saying, he did that. He brought this person in there. No one saw him. But, you know, so they're all mad at him for that. They're angry about him. all these lies and accusations against him. Okay? And they quickly got enraged. And remember, who's behind this really prodding along is Satan. Because Satan wants all this to end. Okay, verse 31, we come down. In, by the temple mount, they have the Romans' um, outpost. A lot of the Roman soldiers hang out out there, so they can kind of oversee what's going on. And Their whole goal is just to keep peace in the city, just civil order. That's it. The Jews can do what the Jews want as long as they don't make any trouble. But this uproar of this crowd was just causing a lot of problems. There's about 500 Roman soldiers at our station, not that far away from this area. And um, so they're picking up on what's going on there, right? The people seize Paul, and they're about to kill him. They're about to kill him. Just a raging, probably like what Paul's been through before. Where remember before it was so dramatic for him. Remember we talked about that. You know, he was at his. He thought he was going to die. We thought maybe he came out of it for PTSD, but he didn't. Remember we talked about that just last week. How terrible that was for Paul to go through that. So here it is again. They have him in the in the temple area, and they're going to kill him again. But Paul has been forewarned of what's going to happen. And he knows that they're not going to kill him right there. Okay? They're going to be bound up and everything. So the Romans soldiers come down and they pretty much get him out of there. They arrest him and get him out of there um, and bring him away. And the crowd was shouting away with him, which means kill him, kill him, kill him. 27 years earlier, Jesus was the one who heard the same words in that same area. So Paul is just going through a lot right here. But he has a peace of mind that it's going to be okay. Because the Holy Spirit didn't prophesy that he was going to die then. They prophesied with his belt that he was going to be arrested, right? So what happens after that? He wasn't sure, but he knew that he wasn't going to die right then. So they arrest him, and they stop beating him as soon as these Roman guards come down, um, and they ask him who he was. Who was he? Because they thought, in verse 38, are you not the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of this assassination uh, assassins out of the wilderness? And Paul says, no, I am a Jew from Tarsus. So just... Not that long ago, there was a group of 4,000 ragtag army that some Egyptian led into the Mount of Olives and caused a lot of commotions. The Romans came down and quickly scattered them, but that Egyptian leader got away. So here it is in the Romans' mind thinking, okay, is this, and this is written about in the books of Josephus, the historian. They're thinking that, okay, this is that same Egyptian guy that got away and we've got him now. But when he talks to Paul and asks Paul who he is, and Paul says he's a Jew from a uh, decent city, and he asks him, I beg you politely, can I speak to the people? It's like this Roman guard is like, whoa, wait a minute here. You're not, you're an educated, polite, very calm person They weren't used to dealing with someone like that that was about to be killed. And they, you know, they they would have someone that was just panic, in a panic attack probably. And here's Paul. Why? Because he was forewarned. Because he knew. And he was trusting God. He went ahead and said, yes, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And God gave him that peace. He was resting in what he knew was right. Okay. He sang that song. So the the Roman commander was surprised. Not only that, but he spoke. He was educated. He spoke another language, Um, and so that entirely put Paul in a different category regarding how the Romans were going to what they were going to do with him. And Paul has one thing on his mind, like he always does, and what's that? He wants to preach the gospel. Can I please talk to the people? will you please let me talk to the people? And then we have a cliffhanger, don't we? <laughs> we have a cliffhanger. There was a hush that came over with this crowd up there. He's, he's chained up and stuff, and he, he, he motions for them to be quiet. Satan would have kept them enraged and angry and covering over Paul's ability to speak. Who's sovereign and who's in charge? God. If God, we learned last week, if God wants the crowd to settle down, the crowd's going to settle down, right? We serve an awesomely wonderful God. So the take out of this this week is the Lord's will be done, really. To, and we can rest in that. We rest in the fact that no matter how difficult the Lord's will is, we're going to we're going to have peace of mind in it. When we disobey, that's when we have that conscious and that lack of inner peace, isn't it? So we save the last uh, chorus of Jesus, I am resting, resting. And as Harriet comes to the piano, Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for... The inner peace that you give us when we have unbroken fellowship with you, when we are, know that we are in the center of your will, where you've directed us to come, and when we respond in obedience to you, there's a peace that passes understanding. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.